Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Very glad to have you with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today, but we'll tell you up front, the good one's not really great. <laughs> there's there's potentially good news there, but uh, given the, the results of the midterms, it's certainly no guarantee that it's a good martini. But before we get there, Jim, it's important to note the passing of an American actor who has given us tremendous enjoyment over the years. His name is Clarence Gilliard Jr. He was 66 years old. Some folks may know him for being in every episode and a prominent character in Walker, Texas Ranger. He was also in scores of episodes of Matlock as Andy Griffith's assistant. Uh, he had a small role in Top Gun. But you and I and so many of our devoted listeners know him best as Theo, the ace computer hacker in the greatest action movie of all time, which is Die Hard. He, he perhaps described a Lakers fast break better than anyone since <laughs> Lakers legendary announcer Chick Hearn. Uh, when you first meet him, uh, his, I would say, curious but uh, creative updating of Twas the Night Before Christmas was also uh, very memorable as the uh, police storm Nakatomi Plaza. But uh, a good actor who actually spent uh, a lot of the last few years teaching film and theater at uh, UNLV. So uh, a guy who really enjoyed the craft. And uh, every time we watch him, whether it's the appropriate Christmas season or not, uh, a fantastic uh, member of the Die Hard cast. Greg, I I was going to say there's no way we could start this podcast without mentioning it. You know, may he rest in peace and his family find some uh, comfort during this time of year, uh, you know, he, he brought so much joy to us in his performances. He, you, you wouldn't characterize him as a star, but he clearly was a working actor who, you know, went from project to project, rarely seemed to disappear for long stretches. And he, you know, you're, you know, this, he's in that category of actors where I think a lot of the audience says, oh, hey, it's that guy. You know, not a big name, not necessarily famous, but you recognize him from previous roles and you like him because of his performances in those roles. Um, glad that he was around as much as he was. He made the return in the uh, diehard battery commercial that many of us debate whether should be considered canon, uh, whether or not you think this is, you know, uh, really a, a worthy addition to the diehard battery or film canon. Um, it was just great to see him again and kind of love the idea of this, you know, bizarre turn of events where Theo comes back many years later and tries to get back at John McClane at a battery store. Uh, anyway, you know, thanks for all the happy memories. And, uh, uh, you know, he's probably putting on a performance somewhere up above us right now. <laughs> well, perhaps the commercial does answer the question because there are a couple of terrorists in Die Hard where you're not totally sure uh, if they were killed. Most of them clearly were. But there's the guy that John McClane, you know, hits in the back of the head uh, with the rifle butt while he's carrying all those negotiable bearer bonds and they go spreading all over the floor. And then there's Argyle who crashes into Theo in, in the garage and then punches him. But given what we see in terms of the effect on Argyle's hand after he punches Theo and then Argyle comes out, we watch the whole thing. He comes out, picks up the McClane's, takes off, never informs the police that there's another terrorist in the garage. So you always wondered whether or not Theo got away. So maybe the commercial actually does answer that, but uh, I don't know. But I've been curious to uh, include him in a sequel for that uh, technically unresolved. Greg, Greg, the most reasonable uh, interpretation is that there was enough evidence to put him in jail for many years, but not to keep him in life or prison. So immediately upon his release, he plotted his revenge upon 
uh, John McClane, who had earned a, repu- a nickname Die Hard for all of his misadventures over the years, and he chose to do it in a battery store for the irony. That's that's the interpretation <laughs> that makes the most sense to me. Well, it's true. He didn't kill anyone directly, so uh, perhaps uh, they went lightly on him in sentencing. But uh, again, condolences to uh, the family and friends of Clarence Gilliard Jr., phenomenal, phenomenal actor. Really enjoyed his work, not only in Die Hard, but in other places uh, throughout his career. So on we go to our good, bad, and crazy martinis for today. And as I said, this is good, potentially, but uh, given the results in the midterms, maybe we shouldn't take it to the bank. But as a result of the Democrats doing much better than expected, the field's kind of clearing, it seems like, for Joe Biden. And this is what the Wall Street Journal is saying. Uh, James Freeman doing the writing here. Here's the deal, as he mocks Biden's uh, phraseology. The comeback kid can now argue that his leadership prevented the kind of midterm drubbing frequently suffered by the party of a first-term president. Pollster Mark Penn sees Mr. Biden as one of the night's big winners. True, Democrats limited their losses by earning more support than the president in swing districts and sometimes even by running away from him. But they also can't blame him for a national outcome that exceeded expectations. Incumbency has its advantages. The president is now in a stronger position to resist retirement and punish those who suggest it. Stories about Biden cognition may have to wait for the White House staff memoirs rather than appearing anonymously and immediately in the Washington Post. He's ready and raring to run. And so, Jim, we can see this in a couple of different ways. Uh, There was a story just a day or two ago about Gavin Newsom out in California who was literally running ads against Ron DeSantis, uh, you know, in terms of California versus Florida uh, earlier this year, now saying, hey, man, Biden, if you're running again, I'm out. I'm I'm all the way with you. And then also the New York Times... I don't know if you saw this a week or so ago where they said, you know, Joe Biden's going to be north of 80 if he runs for re-election. Here's all the reasons why he's going to be in a better position than most people that age, you would think for most people that age. And so the narrative is already shifting from where uh, it was thought to be just a little while ago. Yeah. And, you know, the bad news is this raises the prospect of Joe Biden serving two terms and serving well into his 80s. He just turned 80 earlier this month. Uh, But I think for Republicans, there's a silver lining to this that, look, yeah, you definitely would have preferred to have big Republican wins in the midterms. But if that had shaken out, you probably would have seen the full scale. All right. We've ridden Joe Biden as far as we can ride him. It's time for him to take the gold watch and ride, you know, go into retirement right off into the sunset. And you'd see a, you know, my guess would be a very intense fight over who should be. Biden's successor, whether it was Kamala Harris, whether it was Newsom, whether it was any other one of these governors, we could see from the, you know, folks like Pritzker uh, going and visiting places like New, you know, New Hampshire and Iowa, that there were a bunch of Democrats who were like, you know what, maybe Biden's not going to be able to go. And oh, by the way, we're still in that point because, you know, God, hopefully, hopefully Joe Biden lives to be 100, but you'd never know when his health could take a turn. Um, so this probably makes the Democrats say, all right, let's stick with Biden. But I think, you know, it's very fair to question, did Democrats have an okay midterm election because of Joe Biden, or did they have an okay midterm election in spite of Joe Biden? There is good reason to think Republicans were going to win big this cycle. And obviously they did win control of the house. They, Biden's approval rating is still around 41%. Not good. The right track, wrong direction numbers are still very bad. And the economic outlook is still very bad. In fact, there are quite a few economists who think that there is going to be a recession in 2023. Most people projecting a short and and mild recession, but there are some folks who are saying, eh, don't be so sure about that. 
You add all of that up, Joe Biden is not a particularly strong candidate for re-election. And is, you know, this is getting beyond assuming he's, you know, in the current, you know, mental and physical state that he is. So you add all that up, Biden looks very beatable. He's kind of relying on Republicans to beat themselves and to nominate someone who's very hard to elect generally. Um, now, we'll, you know, there's a lot of road ahead and we'll see how it shakes out. I think you like your odds against Biden with a record to defend that's probably going to be challenging to defend up against a non-divisive, non-self-destructive Republican. Um, then you do a, a Gavin Newsom or something like that. I mean, Biden, we've seen, you know, he was barely on the campaign trail this past fall. He presumably, again, this is now no longer an avoiding COVID strategy. This is just a concession to him being 80 years old. There's no reason to think he's going to be more active on the campaign trail come 2024. So I think you add that up. There's a good shot for Republicans to win in 2024 if they don't beat themselves. And that remains to be seen. But, you know, that's the silver lining to another prospect of Biden 2024, presumably with Kamala Harris and the same crew around him. Yeah, we will find out about that, of course. And, you know, if he is planning to run uh, a serious intra-party challenge in the primaries is usually not a good uh, result for the incumbent uh, party. So uh, if anybody is even thinking about that, if Biden goes forward, I'm guessing they're going to be heavily lobbied to get out. Uh, The good news here, like you said, of course, is that Biden is still likely to have a pretty terrible record and he's going to be certainly no stronger in his ability to try and defend it. Uh, So that'll be good. Uh, You mentioned a non-divisive candidate. Um, that could certainly be the case, uh, in fact. But you know what the media is going to do, whether it's Ron DeSantis or somebody else. If it's not Trump, uh, they're going to turn him into worse than Trump, which I guess we're already seeing in some corners. <laughs> yeah, but my colleague Charlie Cook made the observation yesterday. You know, the, the truth matters. And if you want to argue Ron DeSantis hangs around Holocaust deniers, well, then you can say, OK, which ones and when? And you can't point to any examples of that. If you want to say Donald Trump hangs around with Holocaust deniers, well, he just had dinner with Nick Fuentes, right? So the argument is if you're a Republican, you know, there's, there's an argument, oh, they're going to criticize us no matter what, so it doesn't really matter. Actually, it does matter because truth matters, facts matter, and you want to make that accusation as implausible and stupid and silly and unconvincing as possible. Which is why I think, you know, DeSantis is a better choice, but that's another conversation for another day. Yeah, absolutely right. So it makes me hungry, Greg. (laughs) It does. It does. And there's no better place to satiate that hunger than a phenomenal order from Omaha Steaks, whether it's for yourself or for that special person on your Christmas list. I am so excited every time Omaha Steaks arrive because it's not just the steaks, which are phenomenal in and of themselves, but the burgers, the potatoes, the desserts, uh, the chicken, everything they send you is first rate. Greg, I think when it comes to Christmas gifts or Hanukkah gifts or any other holiday gifts, you probably should try to act like Peyton Manning. <laughs> Omaha! Omaha! Because Omaha Steaks are naturally aged for the ultimate in tenderness, juiciness, and flavor. They'll send an assortment of mouth-watering favorites guaranteed to impress, like the legendary butcher's cut filet mignon, the air-chilled boneless chicken, ultra-juicy burgers, and even an easy-to-prepare comfort meal that can be ready in a flash. Omaha Steaks is a gift from the heart, a gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. So order with a complete confidence today, knowing you're ordering the very best. Visit omahasteaks.com and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout to get that extra $30 off your order. A minimum order may be required. omahasteaks.com, promo code MARTINI at checkout, omahasteaks.com, code MARTINI. All right, Jim, on to our 
bad martini now. And as excited as we were about the Chinese protesters yesterday, uh, our concerns that we uh, elaborated on in the first martini yesterday are also uh, very well founded as well because the United States doesn't plan to stand in solidarity with them, it, it appears, in any way, shape, or form. Here was the question from Philip Wegman of Real Clear Politics yesterday to White House spokesman John Kirby. I'm wondering, what is the president's reaction when he hears protesters in China chant freedom or Xi Jinping step down? The president's not going to speak for protesters around the world. They're speaking for themselves. So there's no reaction? This, the, the, these protesters are speaking for themselves. What we are doing is making it clear that we support the right of peaceful protest. We want freedom. Not touching that one. Not touching that one. That's too incendiary <laughs> over there in China. But, Jim, uh, the cowardice of the West uh, doesn't stop there. Recently, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was talking about that uh, trucker blockade that uh, went to Ottawa last year and ended at one point with the government freezing bank accounts of protesters because they wouldn't leave. Uh, Trudeau talking about how protests are important, but there's a line we don't want to cross here. I think we we have uh, a robust functioning democracy and uh, protests, public protests are an important part of making sure we're getting messages out there and Canadians are getting messages out there and highlighting how they feel about various issues. Uh, but using protests to demand uh, changes to public policy um, is something that, that I think is, is, is worrisome. Using protests to demand changes in public policy is worrisome. When the, when the person asking the questions uh, tried to move on, he jumped back in and said, oh, I, I, I just meant the ones that wouldn't leave. Uh, and so, uh, Jim, I think some of these people are saying the quiet part out loud. And in terms of the United States, they won't say anything at all. You know, as we discussed yesterday, Greg, I did go up to the Philadelphia area and then East Rutherford for Thanksgiving break. So once again, I really do have a lot to unpack here. <laughs> um, the first thought is on the kind of milk toast, check the box, mundane statement from Kirby in support, you know, on behalf of Biden in support of the Chinese protesters. Greg, it's been a long time. Remember when they were saying, America is back, you know, and Biden was walking around, strutting on the stage, and, you know, ah, it's, it's a whole new era, and boy, we're we're going to stand up for what's right, and we're not, you know, no more compromises, and then eventually he fist bump, bumps uh, MBS and, and all that stuff. This is just one more example of this. It just seems particularly ironic, considering how one of Biden's big complaints was that Trump wasn't willing to stand up for human rights, and he was far too acquiescent to Xi Jinping, and now we get the we support protests in China, you know, reading off a, a, a note card type statement um, on the, the contrast between Trudeau talking about the dangers of protests while the uh, Biden administration offers the bare minimum support for the Chinese protests. I'm surprised this is such a hard question for these leaders. And it's right because there you can ask, you know, is there a time when we even though we support the First Amendment where we would not support a right to protest or we would say that kind of protest is unacceptable obviously violence riots anything you know once you, you know that old saying you know your right to speech uh to free speech ends when you know your fist hits my nose um there's you know that's not really even protesting that's just assaulting people but a question of uh you know when people decide to lay down in traffic and others you know drivers who are way more patient than i am choose not to run them over <laughs> uh things like that you know the question and so i think one question would be we should support the right to protest and write the First Amendment so long as your protest does not interfere with other citizens' rights. 
meaning you have a right to protest. You know, it's the uh, use of carbon-based uh, uh, carbon emissions or automobiles or something like that. But the moment your form of protest doesn't allow the guy to get to work so he can make a living, well, now you're doing now you're interfering with his life. Now you are imposing your out of a political agenda. You're imposing restrictions on his right to live his life the way he likes, and you can't do that. Um, most of these things are a matter of I don't want to say finesse, but like you know, because all the time we've had you know questions of. You know, can you? How much can you stop people on the sidewalk when you're asking them to sign a petition? Do uh, you know abortion protesters? How far do they have to be from the entrance to an abortion clinic? Things like that. I think the, you know, this one. You know, there's there are various minor issues we need to work out in order to make sure everyone can live their lives as they like, while other people's right to freedom of expression is uh, is not. By and large, I was sympathetic to the Canadian truckers, but I think there was legitimate questions of. If you're blocking the ability of all other traffic to get through, including emergency vehicles, you know, at some point have you created a public safety hazard through your form of protest? And then the other observation looking at China is, is the form of protest against a policy or is a protest against the regime? Because when it's a protest against the regime, I think we're dealing with a, a kind of a whole different category. And when I say a regime... I don't mean an individual leader, right? You can go out and protest against Biden. You can go out and protest against Trump when Trump was president or uh, DeSantis in Florida. You can protest against the leader, but you're not seeking, at least I hope you're not seeking, to overthrow the entire system of U.S. government. If you are, that's kind of seditious and don't do that. But also there's a question of at some point, uh, do you, you know, we know we've agreed on that. We have a constitution. You want to change it? You go change the constitution. You don't get to violently overthrow any of this kind of stuff. And that's what made things like January 6th turn, uh, uh, turn into this kind of blurrier area of was it really a protest or did it start turning into a riot and or what simply people labeled an insurrection? You know, if Xi Jinping were to have a heart attack tomorrow, would the world become a safer place? Probably on the margins, but not necessarily because the problem isn't just with him, although I think he's a particularly dangerous leader for that country. In the end, it's the Chinese Communist Party and their regime and their their ideology and how they see power and how it should be used and what should be prioritized and what is okay, what is acceptable in the name of preserving their power and in some cases expanding their power. So, you know, if you're getting a regime, okay, I'll recognize that's a, that's a different ball game. In the end, you are trying to overthrow the government and we would be proud and happy to see the Chinese people overthrow the government. We wouldn't have a guarantee that what followed would be better, but what they've got right now is pretty darn bad. So that's kind of my walkthrough of how leaders in, you know, in the West should be thinking about this sort of thing. I don't quite get the, you know, this, the confusion on the part of um, Trudeau, but I think in the end, Justin Trudeau's philosophy is protests are okay if they're protesting something I don't like. But if people are protesting something I like, well, then they're inherently dangerous. <laughs> yeah, we, we see that a lot because, uh, you, you know, the, the, one of the things you see with protests is people get arrested for trespassing. They pay a nominal fine or, or whatever, and then then they're freed again. You know, that that makes sense. Uh, I certainly sympathize with the argument about the people who block traffic. Uh, but your point about the double standard uh, works as well. Because think about way back when at Occupy Wall Street, and these people were squatting in parks, literally and figuratively at times, um, and, uh, and and for months, for months on end, and, and the, all the liberal leaders in D.C. and New York and wherever else it was happening, oh, well, you know, they got a point, and, uh, and, and there was no effort to evict them uh, for a very long time. So uh, if you want to arrest people for trespassing, Okay, go ahead. Freezing their bank accounts <laughs> and some of these other mm. things uh, that Trudeau is doing up in Canada, uh, that, is, uh, that is creeping authoritarianism.
Indeed, using the state to uh, uh, to punish people for holding viewpoints the state finds bothersome, offensive, or uh, a, a threat to it in some form. Um, no, that's that's a really good way of putting that distinction there, Greg. All right, on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And uh, most of the elections in 2022 are behind us. We still got the Georgia Senate runoff to come a week from today. Uh, but in terms of the Republican Party, a big vote coming up. Uh, and that's going to be who leads the Republican National Committee. When it's your party's president in power, they kind of choose who the the chairperson is when they're out of power, the members of the committee actually get together and vote. Now, since Trump got elected in 2016, I guess early 2017, Ronna Romney McDaniel has been the uh, chair of the Republican Party the last three cycles. Not great. Not great for the RNC, yet she is running again. Uh, a lot of people are excited about the idea of Lee Zeldin running, and he says he's taking a very serious look at it, given how close he came to winning the governor's race in a very deep blue state. And a lot of people give him credit for helping the Republicans take the House because of his coattails down ballot in some of those upstate New York House races. But entering the fray also... Mike Lindell, yes, the MyPillow CEO, who in recent years has not only sold, and I have to say, high-quality uh, bedding products and sheets and towels and so forth, but also has been uh, famous for casting doubt on the validity of election results, namely the 2020 <laughs> presidential race. And so uh, he was on an online show, I believe that's called a podcast, by former Trump advisor Steve Bannon. And he says uh, he would take the job, he'd love to take the job, he'd approach it full-time, leaving the pillow business behind that made him famous. So, uh, Jim, I feel like this news is an opportunity to do two things. First of all, point out that of the 168 voting members here, Mike Lindell is not going to be the next chairman of the Republican National Committee. And also, that it is time for a change. Yeah, look, I, I think if you look at this election cycle, when you disappoint, and yes, Republicans won the House, but you look at the sheer number of seats that were in play, the sheer number of Senate seats that were in play, um, the overall economic environment, the political environment, Biden's approval rating, all these different things that added up to a Republican red wave that really turned into a Republic, a red trickle. Then it's, you know what, it's time to, time to get uh, time for new leadership. And let me tell you, as a Jets fan, I understand when you did when when Adam Gase is not successful in his first year, he's not going to get any better in that second year. When Rich Kotite is not good in the first year, he's not going to get any better in the second year. Greg, the idea that Ronna McDaniel is going to suddenly become a better manager of the RNC next cycle, there's no reason to think this. There's no reason to think that you know they had everything going for them this cycle, and we're heading into a presidential cycle. It's time to say thank you for your service. Let's see some other options here. Um, I went back and forth on Zeldin. It's not that I think he'd be a bad choice. I just kind of wonder if the skills that he exhibited as a gubernatorial candidate and a congressman are naturally transferred to running the national a national party committee. Then again, he did manage to you know carry enough Republicans to victory in those key house races, which does indicate he's a team player. He recognizes. I think he always knew he was never going to be a favorite in a bid against uh, Kathy Hochul. That he was always going to be an underdog. But he could run his campaign in a way that he would be helping Republicans down ticket, which says to me, OK, one, he understands the value of, of down ticket. He's a team player. He doesn't all, he's not all about himself. And you know what? We could do a lot worse than that. So let's give him a give him a shot at that. Or at least I'd like to see the 168 members of the RNC strongly contemplate that. Yeah. As for Mike Lindell, look, you know, listeners to this podcast know we've had my pillow ads. 
when we decided, when they came along as a sponsor, we said, you know what? We're both happy to have you as a sponsor. We cannot guarantee that we will not make fun of Mike Lindell if we feel like it. You are not getting any particular tone or coverage or anything off limits when we do that. And they said, okay, and that's fine. And the perfect, yeah, we decided to do, we continued to do the ads because the pillows are just terrific. Mike Lindell, maybe not so much. I wouldn't say how he how can he sleep at night because we know how he sleeps at night very comfortably on his my pillow. <laughs> but all in all, look, I go ahead, Mike Lindell. Let's see how that goes. I'd be interested if he gets a single vote, and maybe he needs something like that to kind of indicate, yeah, you're not you're nowhere near as mainstream as you think you are. We will see. I think uh, Zeldin is smart. I think he's likable. I think that's fairly important in the job, but not necessarily uh, vital. But of the three names that are out there right now, I think he's by far uh, the strongest choice going forward. And he's looking for a job. So, I mean, uh, what, what better what better? <laughs> he's fit? got that going for him. He's, got that going. he's available. He's available. Exactly. So, uh, Jim, on that note, we'll uh, reconvene tomorrow. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast and tell your friends about us as well. Thank you also for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep them coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Also, follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Don't forget to buy Jim's new book, Gathering Five Storms, and the accompanying short story, Saving the Devil. Have a terrific Tuesday and join us again on Wednesday for the next... Three Martini Lunch. You may not believe this, but you know, sometimes you just don't get the whole story from a lot of media coverage. I'm Byron York from The Byron York Show. In my latest episodes, I discuss how a new special counsel is gearing up to investigate former President Trump, and a lot of the evidence in the case is secret. Don't forget to download and subscribe to my daily No Chit Chat podcast. I don't talk about every single issue in the news, just the ones you need to know the most. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.